Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. This episode is part of our Politics and Risk series brought to you by the Council's Government Affairs team. First, we talk with the Council's Joel Copperud and Blair Bartlett for an update on some state legislation in Nevada and New York. We get the status of the PBM reform bill and some presidential chatter. Then, Joel Copperud is joined by Heather Steinmiller, Executive Partner, General Counsel, and National Claim Advocacy and Consulting Leader for Brokerage, Connor Strong, and Buckler. Together, they interview Congressman Dwight Evans, representing Heather's hometown, the 3rd District of Pennsylvania. Let's tune in. Joel Blair, it's great to have you here joining me again. Um, without further ado, I know you've got you've had a really busy few weeks dealing with a number of state issues. Um, and, and let's just give folks uh, some input into what's been going on. Uh, yeah, I'll kick it off, Blair, if you don't mind. I mean, the, yeah, uh, we had one of the biggest issues, I think, flame up and flare out as quickly as I've ever seen anything happen, which was in the state of Nevada. We're in a unique position in that we aren't we are not state lobbyists and we're not adequately equipped to influence uh, significantly bills as they go through state legislatures. Uh, this was passed by by the state legislature in Nevada, signed into law by the governor, and then all of a sudden everyone was like, "Oh my God, what, what did we just do?" Uh, and what the bill did was it would ban any limitations to legal defense costs from being included in any insurance policy. Uh, the implications were huge. You know, a lot of insurance companies were thinking about leaving the state altogether, uh, which would have really screwed all of the policyholders, as you can imagine. A lot of the major companies, a lot of the major casinos in Nevada were talking about changing, relocating their headquarters. Um, it was it was a major problem. But because of our rock star legal team led by Scott Cinder at Steptoe and Johnson, they partnered with our allies at the at WSIA and worked with the commissioner to find more of a pressure relief valve, I think, than anything else, and just ask the commissioner to clarify that th this new law does not impact the surplus lines market or the non-admitted markets. Um, it, premiums are still going to go up in the short term, and it's it's unfortunate that the legislature doesn't come back into session until 2025. So there's still going to be some ec economic pain to be felt, but uh, by making the clarifications that he made, it does still show an, a viable pathway to securing uh, rock solid coverage uh, until the legislature can can fix the law. Um, and then Blair, why don't you talk a little bit about the New York state issue? Um, you know that that is yeah that also flared up, but it it's taking a little bit longer. Um, you know it's it's also additional kind of legislation that you know we weren't. We were kind of aware of, but again, yeah, we don't have the infrastructure at the council to to monitor, you know, 50 state legislatures and, um, you know, they some sometimes bills are added and and go through really quickly and um, and the New York state legislature passed uh, legislation um, that would basically ban non-competes um, and it, you know, for those those members. Um, you know that are in the the M and A or heavy in M and A activity. There's really big implications for that. Um, implications for producers that you know that could be lifted out of firms and and purchased by another firm. Um, you know to not have that non compete kind of diminishes your value, um, and that's something that that we've been working on probably for the the past two months. Maybe Joel about you know how can we how can we make this better? How can we um, 
you know, is there a possibility to amend it, you know, once a law is passed? Like, how, how does that happen? Um, it happens in New York State. Um, and the way that New York State legislature works is really interesting. They kind of rush and, and pass these bills and it, and it can and it usually goes through the night. And I think in this case, it was like 800 bills um, were then sent to the governor to sign into law. And she has, you know, a certain amount of days to sign those bills, but usually the state legislature will send them over in, in kind of like quantities, you know, small quantities, because she has like, once she has those bills to sign, I think she has 30 days um, to, to sign those bills into law. And so, you know, when there's 800, she's obviously not going to be able to sign, you know, 800 bills um, in 30 days. And so there is, we do have some ability to see if we can have the governor do what's called a chapter amendment to amend um, the, the, the legislation, um, you know, or, you know, possible veto. I don't think that will happen in this case um, based on what the governor um, has said publicly. And I think, you know, we, when the whole kind of move by the Federal Trade Commission on non-competes, you know, I remember, um, you know, when we're kind of updating our membership on that, and I think we, you know, we said like there could be a state move, you know, states are moving toward this direction. So, you know, how can we, how can we work with, you know, a ban on non-competes, you know, we understand, um, you know, why they are needed, but then how can we make it work for our industry? Um, you know, cause we try to figure out not necessarily to always say no, um, but how do we get to um, a path where we can support the initial intent, um, but make it work for our industry. And so that's what we're kind of doing in New York. And we do have some time, um, you know, the theoretically the governor has until the end of the year to sign these bills. And uh, from my understanding, it's not been put, put before her, um, but we have sent a letter. Um, you know, we took, and we took some of the arguments from our letter to the Federal Trade Commission on this issue. Um, so that is to be determined, but yeah, it was kind of a, a pop-up of, of a few state issues that we've been focusing on recently. And Blair, I know the non-compete issue has come up in numerous states and they have various ways of dealing with it, but is the issue in Nevada something that other states could do, or is that not a worry? I hope not. I mean, I think there is always the worry, right? Like you see one state do it, especially if it's like a New York or California when you see the, you know, when you see something like that, that the states do. I think, you know, after this, there might be enough evidence to, to not do it. Um, but it's definitely something that, that we'll be watching in other states. Anything else that our, our listeners need to know about on the government affairs front these days? Oh my God, I don't know where to begin. We should talk about <laughs> for sure. I mean, our top legislative priority has been to pass legislation or get Congress to pass legislation that requires PBMs to be as transparent with their revenue streams as brokers are. And I know that our listeners have heard us say this before, but we believe that this law is actually already on the books. Uh, the council endorsed this law in 2019 when Congress passed it uh, in early 2020. Uh, but apparently the language is a little bit ambiguous and PBMs have been able to skirt around it. And we are just looking for clarifying language that they are in fact subject to the same transparency standards as brokers. Uh, and, you know, given the toxic environment in Washington that we just touched on a little bit, I mean, if everyone says that if anything can pass, 
Kevin McCarthy's desk and Chuck Schumer's desk and get Joe Biden's signature right now, it is PBM reform legislation. So we're seeing that train has left the station. It's meandering its way through the various committees. And we are fortunate in that we have language in both the House bill and the Senate bill that would require PBMs to be transparent and clarifies the law that has that they say is ambiguous. So we are in a very, very good place. Um, this just happened within the past couple of weeks. Blair and I have been meeting with Democrats and Republicans in both chambers on all the various committees with leadership offices. The real question now is, one, the calendar, so that both chambers are scheduled to go into recess uh, in a week. We'll see if that actually happens because the Senate, they, the, the Senate Majority Leader always threatens to stay over a recess. This time it might be real um, because one Senator, Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, is holding up all military uh, promotions and any military appointments uh, over some abortion issues that he has with the military. Uh, and it's causing some real national security concerns. So that to bypass his holdup, they have to have an individual vote and it takes a lot of floor time on each appointment. So there's the Senate might actually stay in session in August, but that's all to say the calendar is such that there are not that many legislative days between now and the end of the year. Um, and <clears throat> how they pass this PDM reform effort is going to be interesting to see how they meander it because the House bill is very different from the Senate bill. Uh, they both were fortunate that our little our, our little provision is in both of them, but there are some there, there's a wide gap between the two. Uh, and I'm going to steal Blair's line here, but she has made it clear that Kevin McCarthy is not going to pass a Bernie Sanders bill. Uh, so how are they going to bridge the gap between the two? And that that's the big question. Um, so if they go if they do go into recess in August for four to five weeks, they will come back in mid-September and then they will have two weeks before we all anticipate a government shutdown. Um, and we could have a whole other podcast as to why the government's going to shut down, but it's basically because they can't get on the same page with the spending limits that they all agreed to when they raised the debt ceiling. Um, but one side is reneging on that and they are not holding up their end of the bargain. So Democrats are saying, hold, you know, we're not going to accept anything less than what we agreed to back in May or June or whenever that was. So whatever, government's going to shut down and how we meander through that is a big question mark. And there's a lot of must pass pills that they have to get through. Uh, PBM reform is not a must-pass bill. So will they attach this into something that is must-pass bill? I think that's probably the most likely um, strategy, but but we'll see. And that's what we're in the process of trying to work out now is what is how is the leadership considering their strategy in passing this? Um, and how can we be helpful to either to both to both chambers? Always a lot to talk about with you guys. I, I feel like there's just never a loss for things going on. <laughs> And we're being well, nice to each other right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you're looking forward to going on vacation in August, but maybe not now. <laughs> I would say it. It'll be, yeah, it will really be a vacation. <laughs> we just will take a vacation from the hill. Just from the hill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is a, probably a much needed vacation at times. Well, listen, yeah. thank you guys, as always, for sharing these updates with us and our listeners. That was Joel Coprud and Blair Bartlett from the council. And now Joel is joined by Heather Steinmiller from Connor Strong and Buckaloo for their conversation with Congressman Dwight Evans. Hi everybody, this is Joel Coprud. I'm Senior Vice President of Government Affairs here at the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. Uh, we are honored this for this uh, episode. We are gonna have our very first special guest host. This is gonna be the first um, of many guest hosts that you'll, you'll hear throughout the series. And the host this time is 
Heather Steinmiller. Heather is a leading senior executive of the industry. She has been at Connor Strong and Buckaloo Companies uh, for the past 15 years, where she has served as an executive partner. Um, she leads the legal and claim advocacy and consulting departments at Connor Strong, and she has been a very active participant um, at the council. Uh, she has been a past chair of our legal counsel's working group. She has chaired subcommittees for the legal counsel's working group. And she was even our industry's top nominee and President Obama's nominee to serve on the National Association of Registered Agents and Brokers Board of Directors. Um, we are still working to make that happen. Um, and she will hopefully be the President, President Biden's nominee. Um, and that is all still in the works. But all to say, she is a very active industry leader. She is politically engaged and she has a strong relationship with um, our guest for this uh, episode, who is going to be Congressman Dwight Evans, who is her hometown representative. Heather, thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't you give us a little brief snapshot on how you know Dwight um, and what your relationship's like? For sure. I've known Dwight for 22, 23 years now. I met him when I moved to the city. I had just graduated from law school and actually one of my close friends was one of his mentees. But Dwight has always been a person who engages at that time with young professionals, but also I'm no longer a young professional, but also Dwight was always very passionate about the issues that I'm passionate about. And he was always willing to take meetings and work together and, and push issues forward. Um, I worked with Dwight on many pieces of legislation when I was at the law firm and I drafted legislation in my prior life. But in addition, I had the honor and privilege of serving, working on the Convention Center Expansion Project, and Dwight at the time was one of the top leaders in the State House and was instrumental in not only getting proper funding for it, but also making sure that the expansion was inclusive to all Philadelphians to be included in the economic opportunities of the expansion. And I was very fortunate to partner with him and to work very closely with him in those efforts. Excellent. And it's worth noting that Dwight has quickly climbed the ladder to serve on uh, Congress's most powerful, or one of its most powerful committees, the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, so he's a very influential leader on 80% of federal revenues go through, um, revenues that are, sorry, expenditures go through the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, the Ways and Means Committee created Medicare, Social Security, a lot of government programs. Uh, so he's going to be a very influential player for years to come. So we will be leaning on your relationship with him and really looking forward to the conversation that you're going to have with him. I'm looking forward to it as well. And thanks for having me. Dwight, thanks for joining us today. We're very excited and I'm super excited because I think more people need to understand who Dwight Evans is and what you do, not only for the industry, but for creating economic opportunities for everyone, not just Philadelphians. When I was preparing today for this uh, podcast, I was reminded of your Making Ideas Matter book <laughs> that you published in 2013. And when I think about Dwight Evans and who he is, I think about two things. I think about education and I think about economic opportunities and jobs. And the way that you've been a champion throughout your career and my experience in working with you on many legislative initiatives was that you were known as the dealmaker and the bipartisan. You always had strong relationships with when you were in the state house with people across the aisle and got really great deals done for the Commonwealth and the people in it. Um, and I'm wondering if you're still able to do that in Congress and today's at climate. I have a particular mission in terms of my involvement and my involvement historically. And when you put it that book that I wrote in 20, 
13, I can only share with you that I've always been on a mission of trying to figure out how we get things done. And I think that that is very much where the people are. The, what the people are very interesting with the challenges that we face as a state and as a country and as a world. And, and these challenges is exactly how we meet that challenge. Now we're in a situation where, which I don't think you ever would have thought that democracy itself is being tested, the economy, all of those issues are being tested. And I believe that Democrats are focusing on working people. Uh, Dwight, you and I both know that there was a very important mayoral election in the city of Philadelphia and, and your mentee, uh, Sherelle Parker, who is our Democratic nominee to be the first female mayor in 100 different mayors in the city of Philadelphia. And one of the disappointing things for me in that race is we are facing big challenges in Philadelphia that are local, but only 30% of voters turned out to vote. So in these chaotic times, how do you get people, how do you get citizens engaged? How do you get them to understand the importance of democracy being at stake? That's a, a very good question. Uh, because we are at a real crossroad. And I learned through this experience of being in Washington, I met the late, great John Lewis. And John Lewis was a student of Dr. Martin Luther King. And John Lewis was a person who I had the pleasure of meeting and the importance of voting participation is what he talked about. So he was on the Ways and Means Committee. So I got to meet someone like him who met Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, I'd never met Dr. Martin Luther King. So the closest I had to that was John Lewis. So, I mean, he always talked about learn to do something good. Heather, he was extremely a positive person. And that has some influence upon me being in Washington, D.C., from my experience of being with someone like Kaylee Irvis, who was Speaker of the House in Pennsylvania Legislature. Irvis, who was Speaker, John Lewis, who was a congressman. That kind of connection was always aspect about participating and not giving up. Uh, and so what I would say is probably the greatest challenge is to find out how do we really connect people in terms of their participation in the process. Congressman, can I follow up on that? So Considering, I mean, the every, every day I always say this is the most this is the most important election of your lifetime. But I really feel like this next election is probably the most important election for the country's future. And looking at what twenty twenty six is actually going to look like and feel like on our on our anniversary. As I talk to my members about the next election, I keep saying this is probably going to come down. We can probably figure out which counties are going to determine the presidency, and a lot of them they're going to be probably suburbs. 
and the suburbs of Philly are going to play going to play a critical role. Pennsylvania is a swing state, and it's you can't get to the White House without winning Pennsylvania. Uh, we saw Fetterman; he just barely eked that out. Bob Casey has, uh, you know, he's got a tough race on his hands. From where you sit, and given your experience, you've served in the legislature for 35 years. You know Pennsylvania well. What do you think is in the secret sauce that any candidate needs to figure out in order to carry that state? Ooh, that's a very good question. When you use that word, how to carry a state, I never thought what happened in 2016 in terms of the election that occurred would have happened. I never thought that the president would be elected who was not valuing the importance of the democracy in the country. And that was the first time that I ever went through an impeachment process. Matter of fact, I voted three times for an impeachment. And, and to come here to understand that no one is above the law and that we all need to understand the importance of that document called the Constitution and what it means and how it regulates this process of Democrats and Republicans. We are having these challenges. You know, we're having some challenges which I think there's like no easy answers to. Uh, we talk about the economy, we can talk about violence, we can talk about uh, the aspect of social media plays uh, in the behavior of, of people being elected. So you know, the crop of people who are running today and who run for these, these particular positions that they run for, is do they have the value? Do they value what they do? And in Pennsylvania, one of the original 13 states is extremely significant. Uh, that the role that Pennsylvanians played in the initial aspect of the constitution is something that we should value and really understand that document called the constitution. Congressman, I know your time is uh, is limited and very valuable. I don't want to take too much of it. We have two final questions for you, and we ask every member that joins this podcast these exact same questions. Uh, the first is, what's the number one issue that your constituents care about the most right now? Economics. It's all about economics, their ability to uh, survive, their ability, what's the opportunity going to be like? What's the best way to take advantage of that opportunity? Uh, what way do you take advantage of that opportunity? By the nature of this discussion, your discussion is so timely. It's all about the economy and the, the ability, the function, the ability to save, the ability to invest what will they invest in? And economic stability is very, very, very essential uh, for the way we function today, more than ever before. And the last question, who's your favorite member of Congress on the other side of the aisle to work with? You know, it's interesting. The, the one that I enjoy a great deal 
is a guy by the name of Brian Fitzpatrick. And Brian, uh, he's on the Ways and Committee with me. We love Brian. I knew his brother when his brother was a congressman, right? When I was in the state legislature. And Brian, he's on the Ways and Means Committee. He's about the only Republican that I can say to you that we function together. Now, out of 435 people in Congress, 223 Democrats, 218 Republicans. I can only mention but one name. Remember, I was in the Pennsylvania legislature. I knew people like John Brazell. John Brazell. I knew people like John Brazell. And there was a few. George Kenny, I was just talking about today, who's still retired, who's over at um, Temple. Temple, yeah, George Kenny. So I share with you that 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 number is very limited. You know, I, I knew Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge, yeah. Governor of Pennsylvania. It was it was Governor Thornburg who I borrowed that quote from that no one is above the law. So I share with you Tom Ridge, uh, Dick Thornburg, Brian Fitzpatrick, who I now currently work with on the Ways and Means Committee. I think it says a lot, Dwight, because you're known as someone who was able to and always able to, you care so much about the issues to put politics aside but not too much aside to not get the deal done. So you always understood the politics to get the deal done, but also had the relationships to focus on the issues that mattered most. Thanks for all your work you do for Philadelphians. Thank you for being my Congressman. Um, and Joel, thanks for having us here today. Yeah, Congressman, thank you so much for doing this. We really, really appreciate it. I can't wait to see you again soon. Heather, thank you for being our first co-host. Uh, and for all of our listeners, thank you for joining. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed all of these conversations. You can find more politics and risk at leadersedge.com.